for my brothers and I. Um, whenever we, sorry, whenever we get to January, we are uh, confronted by the fact that we've been in this country for 18 years. Now, 18. Every year marks a new one. And at this point, 18 years ago, I was oblivious to the fact that we'd be moving and I was busy playing marbles with someone or rather or doing one thing or another, chasing something or enjoying the sunshine. And uh, on my way um, uh, here today, I just realized how cold my knees were. <laughs> and <laughs> I remembered the summer and I was like, ah, oh, those eight weeks of sunshine, I could, I, could, I could pay to have those right now. But when the time to move came, we moved. And a few weeks after sort of hiding inside the house, all huddled up and everything, you know, you had to get out of the house at some point. You had to move. You couldn't stay indoors all your life now, could you? But it was only getting colder because January becomes February and February is just bitterly cold. So like then, there comes a time you put your socks on, you put your jeans on, you put your, your different layers on, you put your coat on. Then you open the door, you get slapped in the face by the cold, and you still go, and you step outside. You step outside. When, when I read this story, uh, uh, and it was yesterday and this morning that I was pouring through the book of Exodus, I realized that for the Israelites, liberation has happened. They are no longer slaves in Egypt. The, the, the enemy that stopped them being a nation to themselves, by themselves, was no longer there. And God's promise to them at the, at the banks of the Red Sea that the Egyptians who were chasing after them, they will never see again, that promise has been kept. That promise has been kept. The, the Egypt that oppressed them is now behind them. And this new space, this new place in the wilderness is about something new. And it's about learning what a life of liberty looks like. Liberation has happened. Now the life of liberty is the one that they need to learn. And what are the lessons? Uh, if you remember a few chapters back, um, they were thirsty. And they got to uh, this uh, place with a spring. But the water was bitter. And they complained about the bitterness of the water. And God said to Moses, there's a twig, throw it in the water. Moses took the twig, throw, threw it in the water, and the water was sweet. And they drank the water. And then God led them from that small spring to a place with 12 springs. And was saying to them, I will provide for your every need. But then a few lines later, they were hungry. And they wanted bread. And they wanted meat. So what did God say? Go to sleep. When you wake up in the morning... On the grounds in the desert, there will be bread, something for you to eat. And they were fed for 40 years on something called, what is that? Manna, which means, what is that? <laughs> they were fed on that. They were introduced to that. Go outside, you'll see birds that will rest on the ground for you to catch, and that will be your meat. They were provided for. They were provided for. And we have barely moved two chapters barely moved two chapters and they're already grumbling about something. The life in the place of liberty for this ragtag group is a life of learning 
to trust the God who saved them to be the God who will provide for them their every need. And this is the beginning of the, the, their, their learning, and I think my learning, and possibly our learning, for what 2019 might shape up to require of us. They have to trust the God who got them out of Egypt to be the very same God who will feed them, who will water them. But what do they do on the first hurdle? Complain. In Egypt, we had water. Why have you brought us out here for us to die of thirst? So what does God say? Okay, last time, I found a little spring. The water was bitter. I made the water drinkable for you. This time, I'm going to show you that I am God because I will take you to a stone, a rock. And from a rock, you all will drink water. Now, I don't know about you. I can squeeze juice out of a lemon or an orange. But I, I wouldn't even bother trying to squeeze water from a rock. It is a fruitless exercise. It, it, it is, I, I don't know, it's a running joke in scripture. I think that's God's sense of humor, saying, look, this is a stone. This is a stone. The beautiful thing about stones is if you, if you sink a stone into water, the outside of the stone will be wet. If you take the stone out of the water and you crack it in half, the inside of the stone will be bone dry. So it's not, there is no hope if you're trying to get water from a stone. There is no hope. If you say, okay, I'll break this apart, and somehow, in the little pieces, there will be water. No, that's not going to happen, because inside the stone is bone dry. So what does God say? I am your provider, and my provision for you is beyond what you can imagine or think. When we started with the bitter water, there was water there. Now, I've changed the water into something sweet, but I'm going to do something extra here just to knock the point home for you that I can provide for you through impossibility. I can provide for you through impossibility. So Moses goes and strikes the rock, and there's water enough to feed a nation. But God's saying, I'm your provider. And I think this is an important half of our reading today as we look at the second half of the reading today, which involves the very first battle that this nation has to fight, where they actually take swords out and go and fight. Because there now becomes a question from God about these people and what they're going to do in the space of liberty confronted by those people who are around them who do not want their liberty expressed. Why would the Amalekites attack the Israelites? Uh, imagine what you would do if you were sitting at home and your neighbor next door um, knocked your fence over and, uh, and just walked into your side of the garden, plumped his garden chair and sat down sipping tea. What would you do? You'd take him some cake. You're a very good man. God loves you, and I'm glad for the heart that he's given you. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, God's still working on me, I must say, and I don't have the same intellect as you. I would be absolutely livid. I would be absolutely livid. My blood would boil. I would be so annoyed about what this man is doing or woman is doing. I'd be so annoyed. So for the Amalekites, they can see that this group of people... They're, yes, they're in the desert, 
and actually clearly their conditions are not good because there's nowhere for them to find food. They're having to get bread on the, on the floor from heaven, effectively. They're having to get water from a stone. Soon, they're going to want to settle somewhere where there's a river, somewhere where there's grass to feed their livestock. And where do you think they're going to look? They're going to look at the land that we have. So, let's go in with a preemptive strike wipe them off the face of the planet and secure our future. It makes perfect sense. So they come to do just that, to fight the Israelites off. To fight the Israelites off. And what does God say to, to, what does God get Moses to do? Moses says to Joshua, go into the battle. I will go at the top of that hill over there. And the story says, for so long as Moses' hands and his staff was in the air, the Israelites won the battle. And when the hands started to go down, they started to lose. So Aaron and Hur kept Moses' hands in the air. As long as Moses' hands were up, and you can find, I think the lesson here is um, at the end of uh, chapter 17, where it says, um, Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. For so long as Moses' hands were up, the Israelites had something they could look at and go, ah, yes, there is the prophet, the symbol that God fights for us. Let's charge forward. For so long as the hands were down, they're like, oh, uh, maybe we might lose this one. They win the fight. They win the fight. So first you have a God who's saying, I will provide for you supernaturally. Then you have a world that's saying, there's going to be competition for resources. You're going to face challenges as you try and settle and find your way. You're going to face challenges that are external to you. And actually, the combination of a God who is for you and action by you, by you, there is no sea to drown this army in. They have to pick up swords and go. Action by you, in the face also of this God who is there for you, is the life of liberty. And the story of the Israelites from this point onwards is one where God is in their midst, but then they have enemies to fight who they have to fight. God is in their midst, but they have enemies to fight who they have to fight. We have a value here, which is that we are in a battle, but we are on the winning side. Why is the battle important? The battle is important because it teaches us our responsibility, and it's God's gift to us to know that we are responsible to live the life of liberty that he has given us. We will face decision and choice as to whether to raise the banner in prayer and ask the Lord who can save us to be the one who stands and symbolizes strength for us so that we can fight, so that when the neighbor does cross over, we don't respond to that inner urge to go and obliterate, but actually carve a slice of cake and respond in love and kindness. So that when circumstances arise that are challenging, we know that the battle is won by God. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the living God who will provide for our every need. So that when we step into the battle against these enemies that will try and crawl us into a place of making the wrong decision perhaps, or thinking selfishly perhaps, or acting selfishly, perhaps, we can pursue a different road because the Lord will stand for us. The challenge to me from this passage was who is 
beside me to my left and to my right to help me hold my hands up as that wall goes on within me. And I enter the story as Moses, who is to my left and to my right beside me, helping me hold my hands up when it's harder to keep them afloat as the war goes on within me. Um, how am I praying into 2019? And am I supported by someone to my left and to my right? Because without the help either side of me, my hands will wane and they will go down. Who? Do I perhaps have a close friend here? Do I perhaps have a close friend here? If not, how can I get this person to be the one helping me in prayer? How can I get this person to be the one helping me in prayer? So that we can stand and raise God's banner over the battlefield. So that my inside will always know, in the, in the face of selfishness, in the face of anger, in the face of hostility, you can look and see the symbol of the prophet saying, my God is there. And the battle is his. And even though I may look like I'm losing, actually, he has won the one that's important. The same God who saved me from Egypt won't let me be destroyed in the wilderness. 2019 is before you. I say a happy new year. And I, I, I say this in hope that you find the space in your day to pray, to raise the banner. I say it in hope that you find the person to, to ask to carry you in prayer. Perhaps it might be someone in this very room to say, hey, um, I, I, I need someone else somewhere to be able to just help this elbow stay up there when it's coldest. Then I'll be clothed. Then I'll be ready. Then I can face the year. And the God who will provide for my every need will meet me trying to win every battle that comes before me in his name. May God bless his word to us today.